Psalm 51, verse 17. The Bible says, But the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, are broken in a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. And I want to say this morning that believers must be brought to a place of brokenness before the Lord. And it's funny because I think most of us, just in, in not talking in a carnal sense, in a natural sense, we're conditioned that we don't want to have a broken heart. It's too painful. We don't want to be broken or be a broken man or a broken person. And we think of that as a tragedy. We think of that as something that happened in our lives, maybe the loss of a loved one or, or a very hurtful, painful relationship or the loss of a child at a young age or something like that. We think that it's a tragedy. It's an unpleasant, unfortunate experience too, too painful to bear and that we should avoid a broken heart and avoid brokenness and a broken life at all costs. And yet, when it comes to Christ, when it comes to Lord, the Lord Almighty and a man's relationship with this mighty God, through, his, through faith in His Son Jesus, we find that in God's way and in God's school, if you want to call it that God's school of discipline, he, he finds and he, we see very quickly that it's needful for us. It's needful for men to have our hearts broken. It's, it's needful in God's school of discipline and in dealing with an individual life, just one-on-one, -on -one, one at a time, that our hearts be broken, that our lives be broken in the sense that broken to an extent where God can come in and have His full way in us. And make us like Jesus. Make us so much more like Jesus. And so we're not talking in a worldly sense of just some tragedy that seems to be pointless and too painful to bear. And a lot of times people don't recover from things like that. They might have had a tragedy in their life when they were young. And when they're old and gray-headed, they never got beyond it. Their life was broken, but it was never mended by the Lord. We're not talking about that type of breaking. We're talking about breaking at the hands of God. A brokenness, a broken and a contrite heart and spirit before the Lord. So I want you, if you would, to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21. And we're going to read just two verses here. Matthew 21, verse 42. Now Jesus is in the temple. He's being questioned by the chief priests and the elders. By what authority do you do these things that you do and say these things that you say? Their hearts were hard, their eyes and their minds were blinded, and they didn't understand who he was. And yet they're questioning him. And Jesus says in verse 42, Matthew 21, 42, Did you never read in the scripture this stone which the builders rejected? The same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. And it is marvelous in our eyes. He's actually quoting from a messianic psalm about his first coming. Way back in Psalm 118, just if you wanted to reference it, verses 22 and 23, we see this passage repeated about the stone which the builders rejected. Uh, and then he says in verse 44, And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be, what does it say, broken. But on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. Now, Jesus says, he says, he, he is that stone 
that's referred to in Psalm 118. He is the stone which the builders rejected. Actually, the builders in this case would be the, the nation of Israel as a whole, the nation of Israel to whom were given the covenants and the promises of God, and yet they didn't know Him when He came as a whole. Doesn't mean there weren't any uh, believing Jews. There were. But at this time when when they, he was rejected and they said, we don't want this man to rule over us. What do you want me to do with him? Pilate said, and the, the Jewish people said as a whole, crucify him, give us Barabbas. He came unto his own and his own received him not. Not the stone, that's Jesus Christ, the rock of our salvation, the stone which the builders rejected is become the head of the corner. Okay, or the chief cornerstone upon which his church is built the foundation of his church and so there's there's one stone there's this chief cornerstone which the builders rejected and then there are men there are men that can come and fall upon that stone and there are men on whom that fall that stone falls and it's a total different outcome for either for in either case and i just want to mention this where jesus says in verse 44 at the end of that passage read it again the end of verse 44 on whomsoever on whomsoever it shall fall this stone that's Jesus this rock it will grind him to powder this speaks of his judgment this speaks of someone that rejects Christ they go through life and they could have been saved they should have been saved they had a savior who loved them Jesus came to gently seek and save the lost and he came sometimes maybe in forceful ways trying to get a lost man's attention because he's not willing that any perish but all come to repentance. And yet they go through life hard-hearted. They reject their only, only Savior that there is and only means of eternal life. And they die in their sins. That speaks of judgment. The stone falls upon them and they'll know Him only as judge. They'll know Him only as depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. But He wanted to know Him. He says, I'll never knew you. So that, that speaks, when, and I look this up, grind to powder. On whomsoever the stone shall fall, it, it will grind him to powder. This speaks of complete destruction. When you look up the word, the term is speaking of complete destruction. And actually the picture that's given in the definition is, is the picture of chaff being blown away by the wind. And, and think about this, when, when the, the people would thresh when they would reap the harvest of wheat and they would bring it to the threshing floor and in the threshing floor they would beat it they would take the, the raw grain that they they reaped but the raw grain still had this dry husk on on the seeds and that had to be separated the chaff had to be separated from the wheat and i know you understand that and so they would it would be they would get violent with it and they would beat it and at the same time they're beating it the, the, the chaff is being broken off and the wheat and the chaff are being separated. But it's not only that that's going on, the beating of it. There is a winnowing fan. There was a fan that was being fanned. And the fan would actually blow and scatter the chaff away because it was lighter. It was, it was just like a dry shell. And it would be blown away and ground into powder. And really, you couldn't find it. You couldn't go probably go find the chaff. It was completely destroyed. The good wheat was saved, what was useful for food. But the chaff was scattered. It was ground, ground to powder. 
and blown away. And it's the same thought in the first psalm where David says, but the ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. And so we don't want to be like that. And so upon whoever rejects Christ, and this is not his desire, okay, but whoever does reject Christ, they've lost and their only opportunity and to be saved. And they've missed their opportunity to be saved and they die without the Lord. That's why the Bible says it's appointed to men once to die, but after this, the judgment. And so there's a different meaning at the beginning of verse 44, or a different outcome. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken. Well, they, we would say, well, that sounds bad too. I've fallen upon the stone and I'm broken. I'm hurt in some way. But the word broken here means, it means uh, to shatter, to break, to crush. But it's not a complete destruction. It's not scattered. It's not lost. It's not perished. Like that, that, that which is ground to powder. And the meaning here is when it says, whosoever shall fall upon this stone is literally talking about falling upon the rock, falling upon Jesus Christ as our rock. And the word fall there means to fall down, to light upon or to land upon. Like, like uh, when Noah let the dove out of the ark to see if the ground was dry and there was no place for the, the, the dove to land, set the light of its set his feet and so he came back. Most, uh, Noah stretched out his arm and the dove lit upon or fell down upon Noah's arm and he pulled him back into the ark. This is the picture, totally different than ground to powder, to the chaff that's blown away. This falling down and being broken is exactly what the Lord wants. This is salvation. This is uh, where a man comes and he realizes he needs a Savior and he realizes who that Savior is and he comes and he falls upon Jesus like a man laying hold on the horns of the altar in the Old Testament. He, he knows he's guilty, but he's laying hold and he's crying out for mercy. I'm safe here. As long as I'm hanging on to the horns of this altar, I'm safe. This is the picture. Whosoever will fall on that stone, on this stone, shall be broken. They'll be crushed. It means to break. It means to shatter. But it's not complete destruction. This is a man calling upon God for mercy. And this is the brokenness that is needed. Not a, a, a life tragedy without God involved where men are just heartbroken or men are, or women are heartbroken and they don't recover. This is the type of brokenness that we're talking about tonight. And this brokenness speaks of a contrition. This brokenness speaks of a contrite heart, a contrite heart of man. And it's very rare, amen? It's very rare for a man truly in his heart. We can pretend to be contrite and humble, and self-defacing and so forth, but it's very rare in the heart of man, but it's needed. We're not going to be saved apart from this contrition. This is needed. Just picture it this way. Here's the sinner who realizes he comes under the conviction of his sin. Someone proclaims the gospel to him and he hears the good news and God is working on his life. And he says, I'll fall upon Jesus. I will fall upon Jesus. I will plead for his mercy. I have no righteousness of my own. I have no other hope 
I come to the Lord Jesus Christ. I call upon Him and I fall upon Him to be my refuge from sin. My own sin to be my refuge. I want to read this from Psalm 34, 17 and 18. I'll go ahead and read it. The righteous cry and the Lord heareth. And He delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart. This is exactly what we're talking about tonight, this morning. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. This is the one that the Lord saves. It says here, He's near to those who have a broken heart and He saves such as have a contrite spirit. And this is the brokenness that God desires. This is the good brokenness. This is the kind of brokenness that must be in order for a man to be saved. Amen. This is what God is able to do. And I would say God alone is able to do by the working of His Spirit and so forth to bring men to this place of contrition before Him. We must be broken in this fashion in order to be saved. We must be broken in this fashion in order to be restored, to be filled. And I want to just read this very quickly. Uh, there's a wonderful account in John chapter 9. Very detailed account. The whole chapter, 41 verses I believe, um, deal with this, this man that was born blind and Jesus healed him. He was kicked out of the synagogue. The Jews uh, did not receive Christ or the testimony of the Lord. So Jesus heals the man and restores him, gives him his sight, and then brings the man's spiritual sight and he gives his life to the Lord and, and confesses Jesus as the Lord, as the Messiah. So the Pharisees, some of the Pharisees which were with him at the end of this chapter heard these words and said unto him, they said to Jesus, now remember their hearts are hard. They can see physically, but they're blinded. They said unto him, are we blind also? Jesus said unto them, if you were blind, you, you should have no sin. But now you say, and I think that's a key word, you say, we see, therefore your sin remains. What is he saying here? Those that will humble themselves and be broken and say, I, I'm, I'm undone, I'm, I'm finished, I'm a sinner, there's no hope for me. And somebody says, no, wait, wait, there is a hope. Jesus died for your sins. That brokenness. That's the one that can be forgiven. That's the one He's near. That's the one that can be saved. But the Pharisees in this case were saying, we see, we see everything perfectly. We see spiritually. We see in every way. And Jesus says, because you're unbroken, you're, you are blind and you're still in your sin. Doesn't mean they couldn't be, but they couldn't be saved until they were broken. Amen? So they come to that place of contrition. And so the Bible talks very clearly in verse John 2 about the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and what? The pride of life. To me, this pride of life, it has to be dealt with. It has to be broken. That pride of life. Just me living my own way. Uh, Self-sufficient and so forth. You know, when we come to the Lord, when a, when a lost man comes to the Lord in order to be saved, we don't come, none of us, not one of us, comes before the Savior as a sinner as though we're coming to a bargaining table to make a deal with the Lord. God, if you'll do this, this, and this for me, I'll serve you. 
or I'll do this for you, or I'll do that for you. We're not coming. We don't have anything to bring to the table, so to speak. We don't have any assets. We don't have any bargaining chips. We don't have any, uh, any, we're not coming to the Lord as though we're making a deal. We're broken. And we're saying, God, you got to save me. you got to save me by your mercy, by your grace. I don't stand on any other ground. And, and the Bible says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. And what will he do? He'll lift you up. First Peter 5, quoting from the Old Testament, For God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Don't we need the grace of God? We need and must be of a broken, contrite, contrite condition in our hearts in order for God to have his full way in us. Now we say God, God can do anything. He, he is unlimited. He's omnipotent God, which I agree with, but, but he created man with a will. And, and in one sense, God can do anything. When it comes to dealing with a man's heart and life, he can only go as far as our will is yielded to him. He can only go as far as we're surrendered to him. He can only go as far as we believe him and his promises. And he's still omnipotent. He's still sovereign. But in his sovereignty, he gave man a will. So he can only go as far as my brokenness, so to speak. And that since that I'm yielded to his will, then he can work in me. And he will by his Holy Spirit. He will by his eternal word. He will by circumstances that he orchestrates in our life. First work to bring men and women to a place of brokenness. This is not cruelty on the part of our God. This is kindness. This is not cruelty on the part of our Savior, but it is a necessity that we be broken in this fashion. Not just for salvation, not just for the sinner who's lost, falling upon this stone, which the builders rejected, crying out for mercy to be saved. Certainly, we start there. But even for a believer, and for believers to go on, we have to stay in this place of brokenness. So there are times in our lives where God will bring us to a place of brokenness where we didn't actually want to go there. But God in His kindness brought us to a place of brokenness because it's the only place where He can have His full way in us and work in us. So it's not just for salvation of a sinner, but for the growth of a believer, for the knowledge of the holy to increase in the believer, for our increased Christ-likeness as a believer, for an increased power in our lives to serve the living God. And y'all, I'll say this this morning, don't despise it. This brokenness that we're talking about, not just any brokenness, but brokenness, but brokenness at the hands of God. Okay? Don't despise it. Don't try to avoid it, this brokenness at all costs. He can break us, hallelujah, but we hadn't talked about it much yet, but He can also put us back together. He can break us, which He has to do, and then He can fashion and form us and put us back together much better. Much better, in a much better state, in a much better way. And our God is working. Amen? Our God is working in His perfect way as our Heavenly Father. Don't forget that. He's not just some detached God up there. I'm talking to the believer right now. He's working in His perfect way as our Heavenly Father to bring us to this place of brokenness. He is doing it. He's working to do it. 
What's the purpose of it all? What's the purpose of this brokenness? Or in other words, why brokenness? Why is this part of God's school? Why is this part of the discipline of a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ? He's trying to bring us to a place where we despair. That sounds funny. Well, I don't want to despair. God wants us to despair and then fall upon that stone again. He wants us to bring us to a place where we despair. We despair of our own abilities. We despair of our own wisdom. We despair of our own goodness, even as believers. We despair of our own worth or worthiness. We despair of our own usefulness to His kingdom. To bring us to a place where we despair even of ourselves. We begin to see ourselves and it's not so pretty. He wants to bring us to that place, even if we've been saved for a long time, because the end result that God is after is to bring us to a place of brokenness where we despair, we're in desperate need of the Lord, and we realize our desperate need of the Lord, and we flee to Christ. We flee to Christ. So I said, this is even for Christians. You've been saved 25 years. God is still trying to do this in our lives to, to bring us to a place of brokenness that we flee to Christ. We cry out to Christ in desperation and we say something like this, Lord, if you don't help me, I'm finished. If you don't come through, I have no other recourse. I, have, I don't have a plan B. I can't fall back on anything else. We run to Him, we flee to Him, and we in desperation say, if you don't help me, I'm done. Isaiah, when he saw the Lord high and lifted up, he said, I am undone. He was a righteous man. He would have been one of those that was saved by grace through faith. Like Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. But when he saw the Lord in a deeper revelation, there was a brokenness and a contrition. And God had the remedy for that. Amen? And he called him and used him. Paul said, listen, as a saved man, controversial or hard to understand passage, from Romans chapter 7, most Bible scholars believe, and I agree, that when, what Paul is referring to in Romans 7, he was born again. But he, was a, he reached a place of desperation, trying to do what was pleasing to God and walk in this holiness. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God, because he answers his own question. In the same passage, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. There was a brokenness. Now, I want to spend the rest of the time this morning, and I want us to use um, Peter as an example. Peter, when he denied the Lord. Everyone knows about it. It's in all four of the Gospels. The night of Jesus' arrest. And just prior to the denial, Peter thought he knew Peter. He'd walked with the Lord for three and a half years. He had much more boldness and faith than I've, I would probably have had. But Peter didn't know his own heart. And God had to show it to him. God was going to do something that night that was going to bring Peter to a place of brokenness and show him his own heart. Just prior to that, Peter says, I'll die for you, Lord. And he thought he would. He even did show some, some zealousness for the Lord when he was arrested in the garden and took out a sword and chopped off one of the soldier's ears that came to arrest the Lord. But quickly, 
He, he fled and dispersed and fear and confusion took over. The Bible said the heart is de deceitful above all things in Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jesus says, I, the Lord, try the hearts and reins of men. And so he knows it. Peter didn't know his own heart, did he? Peter didn't know himself. He was not the man that he thought he was. And God had to bring him to a place where Peter could see Peter, not in his best light, not in his crowning moment, but Peter had to see himself as an utter failure if he was going to go on to be what God called him to be. Not just even some weaknesses. You know, Peter, you're pretty good, but you're kind of weak here, here, and here. You know, I'll check back with you in a few weeks. Go strengthen and shore up these areas of your life. Peter had to be brought, because of what God desired to do next in his life, Peter had to be brought to a place of utter failure where he despaired. He thought he would die for the Lord, but instead he denied the Lord. And he denied him openly and publicly and vehemently and, and miserably, I guess you would say, he denied the Lord. I'm certainly not judging Peter. I've denied the Lord publicly and openly before too. And I've done it since I've been saved. And I've done it since I've been baptized in the Holy Ghost. God forgive me. He does forgive us. But he brings us on. And I want to just read this. We don't have time to read the whole passage. You're very familiar with it. But in Mark's account, in Mark 14, at the end of that chapter, but he began, this is Peter, this is the third time, because there's three back-to-back -back opportunities where he could have identified himself with Jesus. Yes, I'm one of his followers. But three times in the dark, warming himself by the fire, uh, he denies the Lord. And the third time, he's really denying the Lord. It says, but he began to curse. This is not what a Christian should do. This is so ungodly. This is so the other end of the spectrum, but I can relate to it. He began to curse and to swear, saying, saying, I know not this man, Jesus, of whom you speak. And the second time, the cop crew. And Peter called to mind the word of, that Jesus had spoken unto him before the cop crow twice, thou shalt deny me Christ. And he went, when he thought thereon, he wept. And in the other, one of the other accounts of the Gospels, it says he went out and wept bitterly. You, I don't have to explain what that means. Peter was broken. It wasn't a little sentimental tear that swelled up in his eyes. He went out, this grown man, this blue-collar worker, this fisherman who loved the Lord and took out a sword a few hours earlier to defend his Lord. He went out and wept bitterly. This was a bitter, this, this failure on Peter's part was a bitter pill for Peter to swallow. But it was a necessary one. It was a necessary one. Peter had to be broken, and he had to be broken in this way, and he had to have his heart broken or crushed, like we said, that meant shattered, broken, in order for the Lord to do the great work in Peter that he desired to do and that he would do following this. I'm sure at that moment, Peter didn't feel like it was going to be a wonderful outcome. But there had to be this contrition. There had to be this humility. And there had to be an end to self. I'm not even saying this would be the last time God would have to deal with Peter or that he can just do it one time in our lives. But I do believe there are a few monumental times in the life of a lost man getting saved. There's one. And then there's, there's a few monumental times, landmark times, where God 
may break us in such a complete way that we never forget. Like Jacob walking with a limp uh, after he wrestled with God. Peter was brought to a place of utter failure. He was the, the failure of Peter. Okay? To the point where he despaired over it. Then the Lord could fashion him as the potter fashions the clay. Hallelujah. Then he could fashion him as the potter fashions the clay. Peter went out and wept bitterly. The Lord looked at him. They made eye contact on the third time. He denied him and cursed. said, I don't know this man, Jesus, over here. And Jesus turned and looked at him. And, and he went out and wept bitterly. And, and I know that I'm, I'm paraphrasing. I'm not putting words in Peter's mouth, but he must have thought something like, I'm done. I'm done. I'm finished. I failed the Lord with all my hopes for three and a half years and how I was going to walk with God and serve Him and be part of His kingdom and, and have such wonderful communion with Him. Uh, it's, it's, all, it's all past. Not that he didn't believe in Jesus anymore, but he thought he was done. I'm done. Is anything useful to that or part of that? And after the Lord died and rose again and appeared to the disciples on several occasions, we, we, we see just before one of these occasions that Peter says to the other disciples, I go a fishing. We say, okay, he decided to go fishing. But I think there's more to it than that because the Lord Jesus has said, I'm going to make you a fisher of men when he first called him. And at this point, when after Peter had denied the Lord and Jesus died and rose again, Peter still believes in the Lord, I believe. I don't think he had abandoned his faith. I think he thought he was done as far as any kind of usefulness to the Lord. And I'm going back to fishing. Not just today. Uh, I'll put my relationship with God, whatever is left of it, maybe on the back burner. And I'll go back to fishing. Jesus had told Peter before that this would happen. He told him at the Last Supper. He said, before the cock crows will deny me three times. He had also told him on another occasion. He says, Peter, the devil, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. He wants to wreck your faith. But I've prayed for you, Peter, that your faith fail not because that's what the devil's after. I've prayed for you that your faith fail not. And when you are converted, strengthen your brothers. So what does that last part mean when you're converted? It doesn't mean saved necessarily it means restore. When you're brought back, you're going to go through it, Peter. You're going to go through the ringer. You're going to go through a trial. You're going to be broken. And, but when you're converted, you're going to come through it, Peter. So it speaks to a, of a hope, Jesus, the hope of the world, the light of the world. Jesus spoke of hope after the brokenness. And we're going to be bringing this to a close, but I want you to understand this type of brokenness, the Lord speaks hope after the brokenness. This is not a life I lost my three-year-old child when I was newly married and it crushed my heart. Well, it would crush our heart. And if Jesus didn't come along and mend it, we would never get beyond something like that. I'm using that for an example. But there are people that don't ever get past things like that. Are they, the one they intended to marry left them for another and their heart was broken and they never turned to the Lord and they never got past it. That's not what we're talking about. When you're converted, Peter, I'm prayed for, I've prayed for you. And when you're converted and restored, 
you're going to be used. Go strengthen your brothers because they're going to go through brokenness as well. He's speaking of hope beyond their brokenness. Amen. And so the Lord told him this was going to happen. I love John chapter 21. Still dealing with Peter. This, I believe, is the last time the Lord, uh, or one of the last times he came and appeared to his disciples during that 40 day period after he rose from the dead. And he's talking with Peter. And you can read it sometime in John chapter 21. But he said, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my sheep. Simon, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And it says Peter was grieved. There was something deeper in it. There was something he was starting to understand what the Lord was asking him. He had said just a few days before, a few weeks before, I would die for the Lord. He denied him openly, vehemently cursed. Jesus said, Simon, son of Jonas, the third time, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. He did love him. But he had to defer and there was a contrition there. You know all things, Lord. And what did the Lord do? What did our kind Savior do? This almighty God who walks on water and spoke the world and all the creation into existence in six days and said it's good. This God, what did he do? He came to that man in his brokenness and he dealt with him in his brokenness and he dealt with him in his contrition and he loved him and helped him in his despair and in his disappointment. And you know, y'all, the, the, it wasn't the, it wasn't the circumstance of denying the Lord that, that made Peter uh, a failure. That circumstance of denying the Lord simply revealed to Peter what was in him. The weakness, the insufficiency, what and who he was apart from the Lord's perfect strength in him. So it didn't cause him to, to be this failure, the brokenness. The brokenness revealed, God already knew it, but the brokenness revealed to Peter, Peter. The brokenness revealed himself to himself. The Lord strengthened Peter. The Lord Jesus called Peter because he said, feed my lambs. I've got stuff for you to do. You're not going back fishing. I've got other people to go catch fish. I made you a fisher of men. You go feed my lambs. Jesus called him forward. There's more. You're coming out of the brokenness and you're going into what I had for you. But Peter had to be broken in order to be filled because it was just literally a few days later when Peter and the 120 were gathered together and they were waiting in obedience for the promise of the Father, which the Lord had promised. They were waiting to be filled with the Holy Ghost and fire. They were waiting to receive power from on high. They were be ready, waiting, and they would after this be used to turn the world upside down. Peter was going to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Peter had a life ahead of him in Jesus, in the perfect will of God. And he was going to live for God and he was going to die for the Lord Jesus Christ. He thought he would before, afterwards he did. Because same chapter in 21, when he's asking him, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. Jesus said, Peter, when you were young, you would gird yourself and you would walk whithersoever thou wouldest. But when you are old, 
You're going to stretch forth your hand and another's going to gird you and they're going to carry you to a place you don't want to go. Well, what is he talking about? The Bible tells us. We don't have to interpret it for ourselves. This spake the Lord uh, concerning or prophesying by what death Peter would glorify the Lord. He was going to die for the Lord. He was going to glorify the Lord in his life and he was going to glorify the Lord in his death. But y'all, I'm bringing this to a close right here. First the brokenness, then the filling. First the brokenness, then the healing. First the brokenness, then the greater power and usefulness to the Lord. First the brokenness, then the greater revelation of the Lord. Communion, intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ. This place of brokenness at the hands of God, and I'll leave you with this thought and leave us with this thought, is not something as believers that we should seek to avoid at all costs. Oh, it's too painful. I don't want to go there. If it's God doing it, then God will by His grace strengthen us to do it, to endure it, to go through it. We will by faith and by God's grace. We're the Lord. We're not seeking to avoid it. We're going to be brought to it. A place of brokenness, desperation, contrition, a broken heart before the Lord so that He can then work His glorious work in us. I want to quote a quote from Andrew Murray. He says, Our right place and purpose and our proper attitude must always be... So this is not just the, the sinner for salvation initially, initially falling on the stone and being broken, which is needed. But our right place and our proper attitude must always be that of a deepest dependence or realization in our own nothingness, in our own powerlessness. Our chief concern is to let Jesus do His work in us. So I'm the purpose of God breaking the individual believers, my life, your life, everyone He's ever loved and dealt with as His child, his purpose behind it is so that He can break us, reveal to us what's in ourselves, that we would fall upon that stone and utter dependence upon the Lord. I didn't think I was this bad, Lord. I didn't think, I thought I was a lot further along. I thought I was a lot stronger. The Lord says, I know just where you were. I know just what's needed. If you'll let me, I'm the potter, you're the clay. If you'll let me, I'll break you and I'll mold, I'll mold you back together and you won't have that weakness anymore. I'm going to strengthen you in that area. I'm going to prepare you for what I have for you next. The brokenness is not the end. It's the hope after the brokenness, but we have to come to that place. Peter's bitter disappointment in denying the Lord was not the end. It was the beginning of all that the Lord desired to do and in working his life from that point forward. This is not a self-pity on me. I'm broken and I'm heartbroken and hurting. This is a brokenness at the hands of God. And then what He will do is He will lovingly and carefully and wonderfully and mightily pick us up in His own hands and carry us in His own arms and He'll work in our lives His glorious, perfect work of grace. He will finish what He wants to finish in us. He, I'll close with this psalm. One, psalm 147, verse 3. He, the Lord, healeth the broken heart. Aren't you glad? And bindeth up their wounds. 
this simple verse, and what a glorious truth. He healeth the broken heart. If you have a broken heart, hit the hands of God, then he's, gonna, he's got something on the back side of it much better. Because the same one that broke it, he healeth the broken in heart, and he bindeth up their wounds. Father, we come before you this morning, and Lord, we say we're not going to try to escape from the, the, the mighty hand of God. We're not going to try to escape out of your will. If you are leading us and bringing us to a place of contrition, of brokenness, of, of uh, utter failure in who we are, even as believers, who we are just in ourselves, bringing us to a place of failure so that we will realize our utter dependency upon you to die to ourselves to make us more like Jesus we, we did, we're not going to run from that we're allowing you I'll say yes Lord I'll say yes where you lead me I'll go if you lead me to a place that's, place that's painful and a place that brings me through a valley and a place that brings me through a dark night as long as that's your will we know that you're with us and you will bring us through it. We don't stay in that. We'll come out on the backside and we'll come out stronger because of it, Lord God. Peter was never the same man. Doesn't mean he was perfect, but he was never the same man after that. And Lord, we pray you would change us to where we're never the same man, but we're the man, the woman, or the young person, the Christian that you've saved us to be and that you've called us to be. We yield to your Lordship. We yield to your work in, in our life. Church, just allow God to have his way in your life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.